case for federalism, the right to protest, and how to grow an economy. Irish man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Good morning, America! Or good afternoon, or good evening, or happy midnight, or happy in the middle of the morning, whenever you are deciding to listen to this show. Of course, this is the show where you come for the accent and in this case, you come for the, the, the fake phony impressions of Robin Williams because I was been watching a lot of YouTube lately. I wanna hope you're keeping well, hope you're I hope you're staying home and staying safe because that's what we're all told to do. And I wanna talk to you today not about the stuff that you're hearing in the media per se, um, but I wanna talk to you about some principles about what's going on and stuff I think you need to be aware of. And one of the things I really I'm trying to do, and I try and do this every week, but I, I want to do a better job for you guys, is making the case of why your country is exceptional. Making the case in very simple terms of, hey, this is why you're different, this is why you're unique, and this is a good thing. One of the reasons that America is unique and exceptional is because your power structure, your power structure within government is the exact opposite to every other country. And that is a good thing. I've always shared this example, but when every other country formed, you literally had the head of state, whether that was a king or a queen or, you know, a prime minister or in Ireland's case, a Taoiseach. They would literally have all the power at the top and they go, hey, this is my power, bum, 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 bum. And then it would filter down. And then the government underneath that, whether it's a state, whether it's a parliament, whether it's a senate or a house or a congress or the house of lords, whatever it is, would then decide, hey, we have all these powers. And then it would filter down to the next body. And it would literally get to the point where whatever local government was local to the people, you know, whether it's a little local community or com- municipality, whatever was left was, well, this is what we got, boys. Everything they didn't want, this is us. Ain't life grace. America was the exact opposite. America was built on the premise of, actually, you know what? We're going to do the exact opposite. We're going to have this idea called federalism. Because America is not built on the idea of it being a country. You know, America, in many ways, is not a country. It is a collection of states, or at its start, at its founding, was a collection of colonies which came together for mutual benefit. And it said, hey, we have these individual colonies. There's 13 at the time. Today, there's 50. Or if you ask Barack Obama, 57. Um, you know, because that's okay. You know, America's welcoming and wants more people in. But they came together and said, hey, what we need to do is form a more perfect union. We need to form a situation that says, hey, we always have to have the power. And the majority of power belongs to us because we're coming together as individual states. But the federal government should have certain powers. 
And you see these powers, they're listed in Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution. There's 18 clauses in there. That's what the federal government can do. I want to explain to you today in real-life terms why that is a good thing and why, despite all the obstacles that you face, your system of government, I believe, and I'm going to make the case today, is better equipped, if you follow those principles, to deal with something like the coronavirus or another issue like the coronavirus than any other country in the world. And I'm going to give you numbers to back this up. And I'm going to use four countries. I'm going to use the numbers from Ireland, because, hey, I'm Irish, and (laughs) why not? Uh, I'm going to use the numbers from America. I'm going to use the numbers from Spain and Italy. And the reason I've chosen those countries as Ireland is because, hey, that's where I'm from. America, because that's where 99% of people who listen to this show are from. But also, I'm using Spain and Italy because if you look at the numbers of people who are affected with coronavirus, they are the second and third countries high in terms of numbers. And I think it's you're going to start seeing a pattern. And that pattern is all boils down to a fundamental principle. It all boils down to a question. This is something we've discussed many times in the past. For me, this was the whole issue of Brexit. This is the whole issue of federalism. This is the whole principal question of government. We can have disagreements over what you think government should do. There are people out there who listen and go, you know, I, I'm, I want more of a social program than you do. Okay, that's fine. You're not the enemy. We just disagree. I, I want government to do, you know, more of this. I have people who listen to the show from all sides who go, I want more, you know, foreign policy involvement. I have people who say, I want less foreign policy involvement. It doesn't matter what you want. The fundamental question to principle is this. Whatever you see government doing, whatever you go, hey, in my world, government should do this. The question is, do you think that works best from the top? Or do you think government, when it should be instituted, works best when it's close to the people? That is the fundamental question of federalism. Your founders were not anarchists. Your founders believed in a strong centralized government. You read the Constitution, that believes in a strong centralized government because they understood the Articles of Confederation did not work. They witnessed it. They lived through it. But they also understood that while you need a strong centralized government, it should be extremely limited in its powers. And that when there should be government, government should be as close to the people as possible. And it should understand that different people will require different things from its government. That it is not one uniform platform that says, hey, we have all these laws. We have all these laws. And it's the same for someone in New York as it is in Florida as it is in California. This understanding of federalism says that's not realistic. And I want to use the numbers to prove it out. And I'll start with Ireland. And by the way, I'm not here to talk about coronavirus. I'm just using this as an example. You can take this example, but I'm using the numbers for corona, and use it on other examples of why federalism is a good thing. So in Ireland, and these numbers are correct as of Wednesday evening, Ireland has 16,040 cases of coronavirus. Now, Ireland's a small country. We only have like 5 million people. Dublin is the capital. That's where most of you, if you've been here, you'll have flown into it. It's the, it's the capital. It's like, um, it's the big city. Everyone goes to Dublin. 7,821 of those cases are in Dublin. So just under 50% of every case of coronavirus is based in Dublin. The states, we don't call them states, we call them counties, but it's the same principle. The state with the least amount of coronavirus is a state called Wexford. It's where I actually used to live. 
It has 653 cases. Now, just bear that in mind. 653 cases compared to 7,821 in Dublin. Just put park those numbers aside for one second. In Spain, Madrid, where Real Madrid play football, you know, one of the big cities. Spain has 204,000 cases. Just under 58,000 of those cases are in Madrid. The smallest amount of cases is in a place called Melilla, with 105. Likewise in Italy. Italy has 184,000 cases. The biggest province in Italy that has the most cases is Lombardy province, which is just under 68,000 cases. So just under, just over 33% of them. The smallest province is this province called Malise and has 282. Now we move to America. I don't want you to get caught up in the numbers too much because it's the underlying principle I want to talk to you about. America, as of Wednesday, had 819,175 cases. The biggest state by far is New York State, with 251,690 cases. So just under a third of all cases are in New York. The smallest states are states like Wyoming, with 322, and Alaska with 329. In fact, as of Wednesday evening, there are eight states in America that have less than a thousand cases of coronavirus. Why did I give you these figures to talk to you about federalism? I don't want it to get wrapped up in the debate. Well, John, that's all coronavirus, and it's this is overstepping a government. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. I want to just talk to you about numbers and federalism. In Ireland, in Spain, in Italy, we all are based around a government. A government or a parliament that is, sits and basically makes rules of law for the whole country. Ireland, and I'll just talk about Ireland for a second, because it's the same underlying principle in Spain and Italy, has a prime minister. We call him a Taoiseach. This person is sitting and is advised by his cabinet and all these so-called experts. And they're talking about lockdown laws. We have a lockdown until Tuesday the 6th of May. Yesterday they came out and said, uh, yeah, we've basically decided that there is no gatherings over up to 50,000 people till at least September 1st. They're making all these blanket laws that affects the same country. is the same from county to county. Whether you're a county like Dublin that has just under 8,000 cases or whether you're a county like Wexford, which is 650. It's one size fits all. It doesn't matter. If there was a county in Ireland that had zero cases, it would still be under lockdown. Why? Because we are a top-heavy system. We are a system that bases everything in parliaments. America is the exact opposite. I don't want to get into the basis, should there should be a shutdown, or, or should governments be locked down, or should people be forced to stay at home? That's irrelevant right now. The idea of federalism, which gives America the advantages, that you can say, you know what? Which they have done. Which Donald Trump has worked with the governors over the last week to do. Donald Trump has made a major U-turn in his policy, and that should be commended. He came out last week and said, I have absolute power about opening up the economy. He was wrong. It's understanding that the states, the idea of federalism, which he now has promoted and said is actually up to the states, which is kudos to him, is where the real power lies. And that is a good thing. That is a critical thing to understanding the advantage America has 
The idea that if you live in Alaska and you have such few cases, why should the same lockdown procedures be on, imposed on you that are imposed on New York City with 250,000 cases? Does that seem fair? Does that seem logical? But I would even go to my friends who are more open to federal government doing things. I would ask you to look at the situation and look, use this as a prime example. Look at the numbers. New York City, or New York State, 250,000 cases. New Jersey, 90,000 cases. And then all the way down to eight, eight states with less than 1,000 cases. Write me the law that says you can write that law that's fair to everyone, that will protect everyone, that will obey, you know, understand everyone's constitutional rights. Explain that law to me. Write that law. I challenge you to do it. And it doesn't even have to be in legal language. You know, you don't have to be a legal expert to write legal laws. They'll change them and make them legal anyway. But how would you write that law? How would you do a system that's fair? That's accurate? You can't. It's impossible. It's impossible to have that system that says, you know, one size fits all. Because government doesn't work best that way. That's why I believe, and if I'm wrong, tell me. Get on touch on social media. Tell me where I'm wrong. I believe where government has a role, and we will disagree over where government has a role. I'm sorry, I will always be a person, and I don't judge you if you disagree with me, but I will always be a person that believes in the idea of the individual. And that the understanding that, you know what, the free markets and individuals are best placed to solve problems. But if you disagree with me on a certain policy, I go, well, I think government should do this. Cool. That's not irrelevant. That's irrelevant right now. The principle of federalism is if you believe in government, when does it work best? Or if I may use some business language, if you believe in government, what opportunities are you giving it to give it the best chance of success? Do you believe it should be one size fits all and done from D.C.? Or do you believe a policy, a government proposal will work best when it's up to the people closest to the states? Where government is understood that, you know what, what happens in Florida, you might have this, and let's just take, for example, this is a pandemic. And let's just take everything they say as fact, as gospel. Who's best to understand what's going on in Florida? Who's best to understand what's going on in Wyoming? Who's best to understand what's best for California? And I use this especially in American politics today. Because in American politics today, there is this myth, and I don't think it is a myth, I actually think it's a reality. This reality where if it happens in a major city, if it happens in New York, it's a news story. If it happens in D.C., it's a news story. If it happens in California, it's a news story. If it happens in some place like, I don't know, Iowa, Wyoming, Oklahoma, Tennessee, guess what? It ain't a news story. Why? Because where all the elites are based are in the cities, are in these big metropolitan plexes where, hey, all the cool cats ha- hide and hang out. But they're not hanging out in the average Joe in heart, in crossover country, in flyover country. This idea is based on the principle of federalism. It's why your founders were exceptional. It's the idea that when government has a place, it should work best. It is given the, it the best opportunity to be successful when it is as close to the people as possible.
I want to thank all you guys for all the kind messages you've seen. I'm, I just wanted to share. I'm feeling a lot better. I, it sounds. Hopefully, it comes across. I'm still really weak in the sense that I, I'm starting walking around the block, and I walk around the block, and I'm like, I feel like I've run a marathon. This virus is just. Man, I hope none of you guys have this because it's it's easily the worst dose I've ever had, just from even from an energy point of view. Um, but I want to thank you and, and encourage you all to get in touch on social media. I'm on Twitter at Freedom Disciple. I'm on Facebook at America's Favorite Irishman. You can find me. Send me a friend request. The one thing I want to do, especially going forward, and this is where I want you, I'd ask you for your help, is if there's topics that you want covered, if there's things you think that are seeing or happening right now that you would like, hey, I, I think no one else is talking about this. Will you talk about it? Please send it to me, you know, either publicly or ideally privately so I can definitely see it. Because I want to make this show as much about you guys as I possibly can. That I'm giving you the ammunition to go, hey, talk about other things. Especially with what you're seeing in the economy. And I'm going to talk to you about that in the next segment. I want to talk to you about what's going on at your local levels. I think there's a lot of lessons Americans can learn about coronavirus. And one of the things I think is critical to understand is elections you know one of my frustrations and i've shared this story many times with you when i went to oklahoma and i gave a speech in uh, in tulsa and i spoke to this lovely lady and she was a really nice lady and she was a parent she was married she, i think she had two or three kids and she ran for school board and she told me about her race, and I was asking, you know, what's it like? Because, you know, being an Irish guy, we don't have those type of races. You have advantages in America because of your system. You know, we don't, we get to vote for the people who go into parliament. That's it. And then ever who is the ruling party who has the most votes and gets to form a government, usually the head of that party is the Taoiseach. We don't get to vote for a president. It's kind of like how Paul Ryan got elected or Kevin McCarthy or Nancy Pelosi. But you guys have so many other elections. You have, like, elections for sheriffs, for DAs, for, you know, for senators, for um, sheriffs, for school board. We don't have any of that. You actually have such a say in your in your system that we don't have. But she was telling me, you know, that her area was basically built up similar to the, the Senate race. And, like, hundreds of thousands people voted for the senator. And both, and both Republican and Democrat for the Senate to go into D.C., her race, I think she won with like 75 votes for school board. School board got one. Maybe she got 125 votes and second place got 75. I can't remember the exact numbers. But when you consider hundreds of thousands of people voted for Senate, but literally less than a thousand voted for school board, that should say something to you. That frightened the hell out of me. You have a system of government where if you actually follow the constitution, and this is not an attack on Donald Trump before anyone thinks it is. You, the, the race that shouldn't mean the less to you, the least to you, the, the least impact on your life is president. If you actually follow the constitution, it doesn't matter who's president because they have no constitutional power. The people who matter the most to you, I would argue school board is right up there because I know you guys had this big rallying cry years ago with the fight for Common Core which I thought was really bad and should have been stopped. But when you have people running for your school board and less than a 1,000 people vote, that's something you guys need to look at. Now, I'm not trying to shame you or say you should vote. I'm just trying to raise issues with you guys to talk to you about. You have to understand 
that the people who have the most influence on your life in a federal system are your local government. And what you've seen in several states right now because of this coronavirus is states' governors are seizing a lot of power. Now, what am I saying to you? I want to be crystal clear. I don't want anyone to take these words and twist them and go, oh, John said Trump isn't important. And, you know, Donald Trump, you shouldn't vote for I didn't say any of this. What I am saying to you is, is it important to vote for president? Absolutely. I don't care who you vote for. If, I know people who are listening are going, I'm voting for Trump no matter what. Good for you. I know people who in this, you know, who listen to the show who are saying, I think I'm going to vote for Biden. I'm not happy, but I'm a Democrat. I can't vote for Trump. Good for you. I don't care. There will be other people, I'm presuming, who will vote for third party, whether that's the Libertarian candidate or if Justin Amash gets it. Again, I don't care. Vote for who you wish. Vote for president. But it's also important to understand, it's critical to understand who you're sending to D.C., but it's also just as critical to understand who are you sending to the governor's mansion? Who's your local mayor? Who's in your house? Who's in the Senate, in your local state Senate? Who's in your district? Who's your sheriff? And what do they stand for? Do they stand for the Constitution? Do they stand for your right to assemble? Do they stand for your right to practice your religion? Do they stand for these principles? And if they don't, maybe it's time you make a change if you're unhappy with those principles. This coronavirus should teach a lot of people a lot of lessons, and especially when it comes to politics, that it's critical to understand who is your representative and who is in the governor's mansion and in these mayoral mayoral places. It's critical. But also, all the way down the board, who is running your schools? It's too easy just to say, oh, the, the liberal education system sucks. Yeah, it does. But I, and I can only use that lady's example in Oklahoma. You know what would have solved a lot of those problems without the liberal takeover? If more than a thousand people voted. I know, imagine if you got two thousand people to vote. Am I asking too much to say two thousand people vote out of a couple of hundred thousand? Maybe three thousand, maybe five thousand. Maybe understanding that there is a liberal takeover or a leftist takeover of, of your education system. But you can't stop it if you are willing to step up. And it, for all those people who are going to go, well, my, my city can't get it and I won't do anything and I have no one to vote for. Well, then maybe you should run yourself. Maybe there are, there are solutions. The federal system works. But we also have to understand that we have to start winning arguments. I've seen a lot of protests about, you know, protesting your local governments, places like Michigan where I've seen all these protests are going, hey, we want to get back to work. And you cannot stop us and keep us in these place, in these stay-at-home orders. They're unconstitutional and making all these arguments. I'm going to say things that are going to be very unpopular today, but it needs to be addressed. Whether you like it or not, whether you think it is fair or not, you need to understand that there is a rigged system. And while it's tempting and it's easy and it's so, in some ways, pleasurable to say, oh, screw the system, screw the media, you also have to understand, if you want to protest, there's an old rule which is never really accurate, but because obviously the issues change, but it's usually a pretty good accurate barometer. No matter what the argument is, no matter what the situation is, 33% of people will be for you. 33% of the people will be against you. The people who win the arguments are usually the people who go to the 33% who are, I don't know, I don't care, or I, I could go either way. 
and make the convincing argument to those people going, hey, this is what we're trying to say. When you're trying to win an argument with the 33% of people who are in, not engaged or not sure or on the fence, optics matter. Optics matter. It's why Martin Luther King won, if I may use a famous example from your history. Because there were people back then stroking the fires of racism who were going, hey, look at all those black people wanting to take what you want, take what you have. They, they're coming for you. There were a lot of white supremacists saying those types of things who, who viewed the black people as a threat. And that was the way they framed their narrative. And it was easy to, for them to frame the narrative when you had people like Malcolm X saying, get whitey, get him. But what made Martin Luther King stand out is because while all these people are here, they are coming for my stuff. They're coming for what I have. And then you have Martin Luther King crossing a bridge, linking arm in arm with, with people in Selma. What was happening there was the rhetoric that they were hearing did not match the optics they saw. They saw a man. They saw the signs, I am a man. And he touched their heart. If you want to make a difference, if you want to start protesting stay-at-home orders, may I humbly suggest you consider your optics, that you consider your message, that you consider what you want to talk about. And if you want to make things and you want to win an argument, and you want to get back to work in this case, you consider the tools you use. I want to talk to you about two of those tools. Look, I get there's a lot of passion and a lot of, you know, support and a lot of love for Donald Trump. I get it. But when you're protesting, you know, stay-at-home orders because you want your state to open up, because you want to get back to work, and the reason you want to get back to work is because you're worried about putting food on your table. Bringing a Donald Trump flag to that rally, while understandable why, you know, some people will like to do it, and some people want to get a message out there that you're supporting Trump, the optics of it, in my opinion, I would ask you to reflect on. Is it going to bring people to your side? Because right now, whether it's fair again or not, whether it's realistic or not, whether you like it or not, there are literally people, you could literally stand on the steps and go, you know what? Two plus two equals four. And if you have a mega hat on it, there will be people who will argue with you going, no, 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 two doesn't two plus two. Don't be stupid. That's old math. You know, show me how you got there. There will be people who will literally think that. They will literally argue with you till you're blue in the face going, no, two plus two does not equal four. And I'm saying that not because I understand math, but because you have a mega hat on or because you're waving a Trump flag. They will literally try and tell you two plus two equals three or equals five or equals 22 or God knows whatever number that they come up with. Is bringing a Trump flag really the best solution to open up your state? There are plenty of times to wave your Trump flag. Rallies, different issues. But when you're making things about an issue, i.e. stay-at-home order's been wrong, how about we understand that let's just make it about that case, not about Donald Trump, that we keep all, even the left-right Republican-Democrat debate out of us. It's not a left-right issue. It's an issue that should be framed in the sense of, I need to get back to work. I have a family. I have a mortgage. 
I need to put food on the table. I'm not the enemy. I'm not your, you know, hurting you in any way. I just need to put food on the table and make the argument. Second thing, you have to understand the narrative is always going to be against you, especially if you believe in freedom or you believe in free markets or you believe in limited government. They literally, the media, people online will make you out to be the enemy. You're wrong before you even open your mouth. Again, you could say two plus two equals four before you even get to issue the first syllable in the first two. You're wrong. You're racist. You're homophobic. You're a terrorist. When you understand this narrative, you have to understand optics. I support the Second Amendment. I think my record is rather clear on it. And especially with my friends on the right, where I took a lot of flack for saying the president and the last Congress acted unconstitutionally for bump stock bans. That's how pro-Second Amendment I am. However, just because you can does not mean you should. The pictures, which were always going to be there, of people wearing huge amounts of camo and seeing big guns wrapped around their front, carrying on the Capitol steps. There's not many people who are sitting there going, you know, if you're pro-Donald Trump and you're pro-open the government, that's not going to bother you. To yours, 33%, no one's going to blink at that. However, there are going to be people in the 33% who are going, gee, you know, I'm a bit uncomfortable with, you know, you know, a semi-automatic weapon or, you know, a rifle or even whatever gun it is. It looks nasty and dangerous and it might just randomly go off on the Capitol steps. And while they may agree with your stay at home, they're not going to side with you. They'll just go, you know what? I agree with what they say, but those optics, man, I I, I can't side with those people. I'm just going to stay silent. Now, I know a lot of people are going to go, you know what? Well, then stuff them. We don't need them. They're weak. They're phony. They're whatever. I get there's a lot of frustration with people right now. But the question is, do you want to win? Do you want to win the argument or do you just want to make things about politics? Because last week I asked you a question about your country and our world. I said, is there enough love or is there too much love or is there not enough? I'm going to ask the same question, but I'm going to change a few words about your culture right now. In your culture right now, in America, in England, in Ireland, and around the world, are things too political? Is everything down to a political side? Or are we totally harmonious and we don't have anything about politics? If you think there are things that are too political, what's the answer? Is the answer to go even more political, to go even more divisive? Or is the thing to step back and go, you know what, let's just leave the politics aside. This is not about Democrats or Republicans. This is not about Donald Trump. This is about me understanding I need to get back to work. I need to get back to work to put food on the table. And that even if you disagree, you're not my enemy. You just see things differently. And I think you're wrong. But this is not about Donald Trump. This is not about governors. This is not not even about federalism. This is about, I need to get back to work. Come join me. And yes, we may disagree on gay marriage. Yes, we may disagree on guns. Yes, we may disagree on the economy. But on this issue, we can unite. The question is up to you guys, how you want to operate. But whether you like it or not, Optics are important. Martin Luther King proved this. 
Your founders proved this. Segre- you know, the civil rights era proved this. And if I may use a president, a lot of people on this audience should admire. Ronald Reagan knew this. Ronald Reagan knew this better than most. He knew he was fighting a rigged system. What did he do? He didn't make things about him. He told stories. He told stories and painted a, a, a picture of an optimistic future where the Berlin Wall was torn down, where Soviet Russia was defeated, and where peace and harmony could have a chance at survival. And I do believe that is why many on the left, even begrudgingly, will talk positively about Reagan. The choice is yours, America. If you're a new listener to the show, a few people messaged me last week and said that that was their first show listening. So welcome. Um, new show is released every Saturday at 12 noon Eastern. Search your flavor platform. Subscribe. Also, I would ask you if you happen to listen on Apple. Apple is by far our biggest platform these days. So if you can leave us a rating and review, new people find us all the time. And then it helps grow the message. I want to finish up today's show by talking to you about the economy. Because... In many ways, if you believe in freedom and you believe in any type of vision that I have for your country when it comes to, not my vision, your founder's vision of federalism, of free markets, a lot of these principles are up for discussion right now. And in many ways, we're in a reflection point. And how we act right now will decide, in large parts, the future or the immediate future of the next 5, 10, 20 years of your country and thus the world. One of the conversations which is going to have to be critically watched over the next week, month, two months, is all these plans coming from local governments, state governments, and the federal government of how to reopen the economy. How do we build the economy back up? You've seen Donald Trump and he's brought all these people like Vince McMahon and Dana White and Rand Paul and all these different people are coming together, you know, to business council. And you're going to see all these discussions. And there's going to be some principles that you're going to have to ask yourself, what do you want to support? What do you believe in? But also we need to take a step back and ask ourselves, have we won the argument? Because the answers to building up your economy in many ways are really simple. And I want to talk to you about some of the principles that you're going to have to ask yourself. What are you comfortable with? So the first question is, how do you build up an economy? That's going to be a question that you're going to see many, many, many different answers to. And there's going to be lots of talking points. And whatever Donald Trump says, that'll automatically be racist, xenophobic, homophobic, and every other phobia out there. But the ultimate question you're going to have to ask as you hear all these proposals from different levels of government and different sides of the political aisle is, what is the role of government in building up an economy? That is a fundamental question a lot of people on the right are going to have to ask themselves. What is the role of government building up an economy? Does it have a role? And if so, what is its role? Also, you're going to have to ask a question of, what is the role of government money? Does the government printing money have a role in building up the economy? or And if it does, what role does it have? Because right now, you know, I, I get slammed every time I say this because people don't like hearing it. 
building up your economy and understanding your economy is very simple. It takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of sacrifice and a lot of commitment, but solving the American economy is rather easy. And I know people don't like hearing that because they think, oh, well, well are you some type of genius? No, I'm not some type of, e- I know economics better than a lot of people because I study it and I research it and I read about it a lot and I think about it a lot, but I'm no genius. I'm no expert, but building up the economy is rather easy. What are, how do you build up an economy? Well, it's the same way it was built up in the first place. You have to understand that people act best when they're pursuing their own happiness, when they're pursuing something that they love. I would ask you just to to prove this point. I would ask you to think about your work and think of some of the employments you've had. People work best when they're pursuing their happiness. Did you work best when you were working for a dollar? When you were working, hey, you know what? I'm just at this job and eh, you know what? It's paycheck. You know, I turn up and I get job, but you know, it's all right. I get my paycheck every Friday or every month or whatever it is, every two weeks. I get the paycheck, I cash it, it pays the bills, and eh, it's all right. Was that your best work? Or was your best work when you said, you know what? I do this job, and yeah, the money's great, and I do this stuff, but I get to help people, or I get to work around people, or I get to work on these projects, or my boss is really good. It's really fun, or I like working with my coworkers. Even as I described, you hear the, the difference in my tone? That's not me putting it on. That's just me talking about it. People work best when they're pursuing their happiness, when they're fulfilling a mission, not just working for a dollar. People just working, hey, I work for a paycheck. People work best when they're pursuing their happiness. But also with the underlying principle that if you are pursuing your happiness, you have a God-given right to keep the fruits of your own labor. That means that, you know what, if I earn a million dollars, I get to keep that million dollars. Why? Because I created a product or a service and people bought us. I have that God-given right. And that I shouldn't be hated because I created a product or service and I was successful. You want to know the answer to solving America's economic problems? You need wealth creation. And you need a lot of it. You need opportunity for a brighter tomorrow. You need people, and I'm going to say this, and a lot of people who are left-leaning are not going to like this. They're going to shiver when they hear this. Oh, You know what we need? We need a lot of people to get filthy rich to build the economy. Why is that? Because when do people get filthy rich through business? What is the outcome of that? The outcome of that is they built a product or a service that the people en masse wanted. And the result of that, to provide that product or service, meant they had to hire people. They had to hire people. They had to hire people then to manage the people they hired to produce that product or service. And then invariably, the true business, not everything is perfect. That they had to hire people to look after the customer when things went wrong to fix problems. Then they needed to hire people to pay those people. That is what you need. You need a lot of people to pursue their happiness, to keep the fruits of their own labor, and to create a lot of wealth. That is how you solve the economic problems that you have. But what is the role in government? What Anything I just said. What I fear is a lot of state governments are going to use this extra power, and the federal government is going to go, well, you need us, baby. No, you don't. 
This is a reflection point for you. And this is not about Donald Trump or about left or right or even state governments. This is a question to anyone who listens to this. Do you still believe in what Ronald Reagan said? That the most terrifying words from the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Do you still believe that? Or are you more open to government help these days? When it comes to the economy, whether I'm right or wrong, my beliefs are a true proof that I still believe the economy is not does not need federal help. It does not need federal money. The federal government, especially when it comes to money, it never creates anything. The federal government can only do stuff when it first takes from someone else and through their creation, through their innovation. But I also want to talk to you about one fear I have, which is very important to understand. Again, I want to stress this right at the start because people will twist my words against me. This is not a Donald Trump thing about what I'm about to say. But you need to understand your economy, whether you like it or not, has been changing. And it hasn't been changing because of the federal government. It hasn't been changing because of Donald Trump or Donald Trump's failures. It has been changing because of consumer behavior. In 2019, more than 9,300 stores closed. And a lot of stores closed every store it had. A lot of stores closed a lot of stores. I want to talk to you about some of them. You had AC Moore. I have never heard of that store. Don't know what it did. Sears, Kmart, Party City, Walgreens, Barney's, Charlotte Reuse, Family Dollar, Chico's. And then Payless had 2,500 stores in America. It said it had plans to close all 2,500 of them. Now, this is not a Donald Trump thing. This is not, I told you, Donald Trump's economy wasn't great. This has nothing to do with it. What this has to do with is consumer behavior. Whether you like it or not, people as a general rule, whether you're American, whether you're Irish, whether you're English, whether you're European, whether you're Australian, are spending less. The old days of, hey, let's go to the mall and let's go buy a lot of stuff. I'm sure people still do that. But if you ever see coffee, you know, in malls and whenever I go, we used to go to malls in your country. The places that always did the best and had the largest spend were usually the coffee places. You know, the old days of 10, 15 years ago, like when I started going to America in the 90s, you'd see people going to the mall, like literally, I always felt sorry for the guy because literally, literally, his hands must have been broken. You know, the ribbons of bags literally cutting into his hands. You rarely saw that anymore. When I used to go to the mall, yeah, you'd have a bag or two or three. You don't see that big thing anymore. Why? Because our consumer habits have changed. Our consumer habits have changed and they're more going online. Some of that's inevitable. You know, I'll give you one simple example just to prove this. I think I shared this last week. You know, in the old days when I used to get sick, you used to have to go to Blockbuster, pay three bucks. Hey, I want this new DVD or this new video. And you'd get pay your three bucks, you go home, you'd watch it, and then you bring it back the next day. And then you get another one. Or you get two or three at a time, especially if you're really sick like I was. Now you don't do that anymore. You don't have to go anymore. Just go onto your iPad, Netflix.com, pay 12 bucks a month, boom. You can watch unlimited stuff. You can watch movies. You can watch comedy. You can watch specials. You can watch Tiger King. Yes, I did it. We'll talk about that another time. Just mind-numbingly. I felt like I got dumber watching that. But you have that. Your economy's changing. Look at the likes of Amazon. Your economy's changing. It's changing naturally because of your behavior. Now, here's my fear. If people look at things and kind of go, we need to save every job that we possibly can, and we're going to print all the money that saves it, 
there's a chance that you're going to start saving companies that were going to go out of business anyway. And what is that going to do? First of all, let me talk to you about politics. If you start giving money to companies and they fail anyway, guess what? Let me get. Let me give you a spoiler alert of who they're going to blame. Um, it isn't going to be a local governor. It isn't going to be a state government. It isn't even going to be Congress. And they could allocate the money to ever who they want. It's going to be Donald Trump. But second of all, how is that helping your your tax dollars? Your country is so much in debt right now. And it's growing every day. How is giving money, your taxpayers' money, dollar money, to a company that was going to fail anyway, helpful? What do you do with all these situations? How do you build and build a brighter tomorrow? The one thing you have to understand, and this is an argument when it comes down to winning the argument. How many people today are comfortable saying you need wealth creation? Or is that too easily defeated by our friends on the left? Oh, you're for the millionaires and billionaires, and you just want it rich to get richer. Now I want opportunity for everyone. I want rags to riches stories as well. I want anyone who creates opportunity to be, be rich if, or have that opportunity. Or if they want to go donate it all to the poor, let them do it. But also, are we winning the argument enough to say, you know what? Look, the truth about economies are sometimes businesses go out of business. And that is not necessarily a bad thing for our society. That while it is extremely painful, and as someone who has gone through two bankruptcies with companies, it is not a fun experience. It is a heart-breaking experience. It's not something I would wish on anyone. But sometimes, through our country, through our innovation, you know what happens? It needs to happen. Because that is how we innovate. That is how we progress as society. That's what you are, progressives, right? Again, I use this example to prove my point. Remember the old days when the record was around and then things started going wrong and, you know, innovation and technology came involved? There was this radical idea called a cassette player. Well, if government was involved and said, no, we need to save all those record players, we'd still be listening to vinyl and we wouldn't have cassettes. And then likewise, when that cassette came around, there was this other radical idea a few years later called a CD player. And what happens if government got involved to save those jobs? We'd still be listening on cassettes. But the free market changed. It went to CDs. And then a few years later, there was this thing called an iPod. And now we have Spotify and YouTube and all these different things. You can listen on your phone. Sadly, and again, I don't want anyone to lose their job. But sometimes true innovation, there will be job losses. Companies will be no longer needed. The answer to that, I believe, and you have to ask yourself this. Is the answer government? Is the answer government money? Or is the answer, sometimes things bad things really happen, but our society can progress anyway. And that those people who lose their jobs will get jobs elsewhere. The economy will adapt. People will adapt. But if you have the opportunity to pursue your happiness and to keep the fruits of your labor, that even if your company does go bust, that there will be other opportunities. Because lastly, I want to share the story with you of Henry Ford. You know, everyone knows Henry Ford. Everyone knows about Ford Motor Company. Everyone knows about, hey, look how great it was. But the people sometimes don't know how many times he went failed and how many times he went bankrupt before he became a success. If you want to grow your economy, you want to build your economy, I believe it starts with the individual. I believe it starts with encouraging you to pursue your own happiness. I believe it starts with unleashing 
the individual genius of man like never before. You know, something your founders believed in. And that's what makes you exceptional. That is what makes you unique. I hope today's show has given you something to think about. As always, we finish up by saluting everyone who serves, your police, your firefighters, your emergency personnel, and your vets. And lastly, I salute you, the great American people. Never, ever forget, America is great because Americans are good. America is great because Americans are good. Until next Saturday at 12 noon Eastern, have a beautiful and blessed week. God bless. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. 